we are continuing a series on discipleship, what it means to follow Christ. Last week we were reminded from Jesus' words himself that to follow Christ means that he's the priority. Now keep in mind, this doesn't mean we are working to earn salvation. I want to reiterate time and time and time again, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. We do not work to earn our salvation. But Jesus is very clear that to receive his grace is costly. Grace transforms us. It changes us. And that change means that there are going to be struggles. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and follow. Now this morning we're going to be looking at the discipline of following. Now it shouldn't surprise us because the very word discipline is in the word disciple. To be a disciple is to engage in a life of discipline in following Christ. Now where we're turning is a letter Paul the apostle wrote to Timothy. Now Timothy was a pastor, a young man, pastoring his first church in Ephesus. So Paul writes him to give him encouragement and teaching on what he should and should not do. But the interesting thing is, is that this letter to Timothy is actually read aloud to the church. So as Paul is instructing Timothy, he's also instructing the church. It's kind of like as a parent. You may address something to one of your children, but you do it in such a way that all the kids hear, so there's no doubt that what you said to this one applies to everybody. It's kind of what's happening here. So follow with me as I read aloud verses 6 through 10 in 1 Timothy 4, thinking about the discipline of a disciple. If you put these things before the brothers... You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Bow with me in prayer again. Lord, as we come to this passage, open our hearts to receive what you intend to give us this morning. Help us to think about the discipline you are calling us to and equipping us for. That we might be transformed by your grace. Grant this, we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want you to think for a moment about any plans that you have made for the new year. Now coming to the change of the calendar, it's common for us to start thinking about what do we want to do different in the coming year. It's almost like getting a, a fresh sheet of paper and being able to say, this is the direction I want to go in. Now many make resolutions. Some may not go that far, but they think, you know what, this is the year that, number one thing, I'm going to get in shape. 
Or this is the year that I'm going to get our finances in order. We're going to start working on that debt. Or we're going to get a, a retirement plan in place and start doing those things. Nothing wrong with that. We need to make plans for such goals. But don't overlook the spiritual aspect of your life. What are your plans for spiritual growth this year? How do you plan to grow closer to the Lord Jesus in 2022? It needs to be a plan. Because it's one thing to say, I want to be closer to Jesus. But that desire itself doesn't do much without action. It would be like me saying, you know what? If I were to go to my family and say, this year, 2022, I'm going to start a garden in the backyard, which would be truly a miracle. And I said to them, this is what I'm going to do. I've got a handful of seed here. Oh, I've got some tomato seeds. I've got some cucumber seeds. got some cantaloupe seeds. I don't even know if there are cantaloupe seeds. And I were to open up the window and say, today I am planting. Come spring, I'm going to harvest. It's not going to work that way, is it? Because if I'm serious about growing a garden, it means tilling the soil. It means planting the seeds. It means weeding. It's active. It's one thing to have the desire, but that desire needs to be implemented into action. Think about it with fitness. Did you know the United States of America leads the world in expenditure on fitness? America will spend $264 billion on average to get fit. For example, we will spend $37 billion on fitness clothes. We're going to look good doing it. But did you know, according to the Lancet Medical Journal, the United States, for all of its expenditure on physical fitness, ranks 143rd globally for actual participation in physical activity? Desire. Invest money. We're going to do it. But then the follow-through is where the struggle comes. We need to have a goal, a plan, and the discipline to stick to it. Now, the Scripture doesn't leave us wondering what the goal is to be. Look at verse 7 in this instruction to Timothy. Rather, train yourself for godliness. There it is. There's the goal. Our goal is godliness. Now, remember, Paul is speaking to Timothy, but he wants the rest of the church to overhear. Because this idea of growing in godliness is found throughout the New Testament for every believer. Now, defining godliness can be difficult. I like the definition that Jerry Bridges uses in his work, The Pursuit or the Practice of Godliness. He says this, Godliness is being God-like by demonstrating Christ-like character. That's godliness. Godliness is demonstrating Christ-like character and being like God in that way. It begins with a personal devotion that is put into action. It's saying, I love God. That's the internal. And then godliness is the expression of that outwardly. He goes on to say, godliness is a result of our personal attitude toward God that results in actions that are pleasing to God. Godliness. An attitude toward God, loving Him, that is expressed outwardly in actions. It's so that our lives represent Christ. Now, let me give you a quiz this morning. 
All right, now students may already be used to this, been back in school for a week, so here we go. If I squeeze an orange, what comes out? Okay, one for one. Number two, if I squeeze a tomato, what comes out? All right, two for two. Number three, if I squeeze a grape, what comes out? You all are sharp. You're going, duh, pastor. What's inside comes out when the squeeze is on. Same is true of us. When we feel the pressures of life, what is inside will come out. Because it's not premeditated. It's that moment where stress hits that often reveals our hearts. So our goal in godliness is this, that when the squeeze of life hits, our response is Jesus. It is Jesus that comes out. That's why it's a process. It does not happen overnight. It takes discipline. Now, suppose I were to go over here to the piano. Just imagine that. It's still on. And suppose I were to sit down. That's not very entertaining, is it? No. But suppose I were to do this. Yes, that's Lionel Richie. Now, what made the difference? One was just pounding. But the other had discipline applied to it to focus the notes in a specific direction. Discipline is not a bad thing. Freedom without discipline is chaos. It's not beneficial. That's pounding on the notes. But it's discipline that gives us true freedom to enjoy beauty. So you see, discipline is not a negative thing in the life of the believer. And when we talk about discipline, what we're talking about is the practice of the spiritual disciplines to draw us closer to God. You see, the spiritual disciplines place us within the grace of God to bring about change. Think of the grace of God like a huge swimming pool. And the disciplines, prayer, scripture reading, fasting, are like ladders that allow us to get down into the grace of God. They're good things. But we have to begin this idea of discipline with the right nourishment. Look back to verse 6, if you will. Paul says to Timothy, put these things before the brothers, and if you do that, you're a good servant. You're doing what you ought to do, being trained. Now, there's the key word. That word trained is repeated three times in this passage in one form or another. But the word trained here is unique because it's not the word gymnasia. It's another word that deals with nourishment. It's a word that refers to the diet given to an infant to provide the nourishment that infant needs to grow in a healthy manner. So he's saying, you have been trained, you have been nourished on what? The words of the faith and of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or exactly, the words of the faith is the gospel. And the good doctrine that you have followed is the truth that comes out of that doctrine or out of the word. So he's saying that you grow as you take in the Word. Now, I recognize that as Paul is writing this to Timothy, the only Scripture they have is the Old Testament. And he's saying as you dive into the Scripture, you're going to grow and be nourished in godliness. For example, look down to verse, let's see, where is it? Verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. 
So as he says, you are trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, he now connects it to the reading of the Scripture. This is why Paul, time and time again, reminds Timothy, be in the Word. Now, lest we think that's just the Old Testament, I would remind you that in the book of Peter, Peter writes and he says that the words of Paul are lifted up on par with the other Scripture. In other words, even when Paul wrote letters, they were lifted up and recognized with the same authority as that of the Old Testament. And we have to be on guard, not to be distracted from being in the Word. Look at what Paul writes to Timothy next in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Those are the things that would distract us. Don't know what Paul was dealing with exactly at Ephesus. Some have speculated that maybe it was this teaching that somehow God and Jesus were on par with Zeus and, and, and Ares in some way. It's really undefined, but we still struggle with that today. There is such a glut of information out there that can distract us from getting into the Word. It's said that back in medieval times, one of the great debates among the scholastic Christians was how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. At some point, it's like, why? That's where we need to be careful that we don't get distracted by things that would consume our time and our energy, but they are not really beneficial to being in the Word, being in the Word in a consistent basis. We need to stay away from spiritual junk food. I'm going to date myself just a little bit, showing my age. I can remember the original Saturday Night Live with John Belushi. If you know the late John Belushi, he was certainly not a paragon of virtue nor of, of physical health. One skit that he did took place in 1977 following the, the Olympics where he was participating in the decathlon. And it showed John Belushi and he came from behind with his belly hanging out over his shorts and he runs and he finishes first and Belushi takes the gold. And then he shows him doing the high jump and he high jumps seven feet and he wins and everybody's excited. And then it cuts to him doing a commercial. In front of him is a plate filled with chocolate donuts. In his hand is a cigarette. And he says, little chocolate donuts have been on my training table since I was a child. Now, the humor of it is that, no, that's not what you eat to win. That's not what you feed your body if you want to, to excel in athletic competition. Paul is making the same point. He's saying if we are to grow near Christ, we must be careful of what we take in spiritually, that we nourish ourselves on the Word and study true doctrine so that our lives are strong and rooted in who God is. And to do that takes discipline. Notice in verse 7. Don't have anything to do with silly myths. Rather, train yourselves. Our temptation will be distraction. But he says, train yourselves. Now, this is the word gymnasia. Put into practice the same way that an athlete would engage in physical activity to be strong, you also engage in, in activity so that your mind and heart is disciplined on Jesus. Therefore, Paul draws an analogy in verse 8. Notice that he says there, bodily training is of some value. Now, I know I say this as one who is in desperately, desperate need of bodily training. Exercise is good. It's right. We should. But Paul is balancing it out, if you would allow me to put it like this. 
In many ways, exercise is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. We're still growing older. It's good. But age and time still catch up. In other words, it's of limited value. But then he looks at godliness. Look what he says next. Godliness, in other words, living for Christ, is of value in every way. Why is it valuable? Why? Because one, it is valuable in the present and also in the life to come. In other words, as we live for Christ now, there is benefit. Think about what comes about in a person's life as they are trained in godliness. It's nothing less than the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, love, joy, kindness, meekness, gentleness. Who of us would say, you know what, I've got enough love in my life, I think I'm good. Who would say, no, peace, I'm all right, don't need any more peace, Lord. All of us would long for more of those things in our lives. And they come about, how? As we grow in godliness by growing like Christ. That's in the present. In the future, it's that God will honor those who walk like Him. It is Christ's likeness that God honors. So he says, bodily training, good. All right? If you are engaged in exercise, way to go. But recognize discipline in walking with the Lord gains you something now and forever. So therefore, engage in training. Don't put it off. If you'll allow me another athletic illustration. Most every generation in some way is familiar with the movie Rocky. A few years ago, I was able to visit Philadelphia with my son, and we actually went on the steps of the library. And yes, we did the, you know, what you do when you're in Philadelphia, thinking of Rocky. The premise of that movie is that the world champion, Apollo Creed, in the spirit of celebrating the nation's bicentennial, is going to give an underdog a shot. A no-name boxer from the streets of Philadelphia, he's going to give that boxer a chance to fight for the world championship, and that boxer is none other than Rocky Balboa. Rocky's amazed he's given a shot to win. Throughout the story, Rocky has his struggles, but he starts to engage in training in some very unorthodox ways. The brother of his girlfriend works at a meatpacking plant. So he allows Rocky to go in and begin pounding these huge sides of beef. And as Rocky's pounding on him like you would a, a large body bag, you can hear the ribs breaking and Rocky's working. And a news crew shows up and they film it. That's how Rocky's training. The scene then cuts to Apollo Creed's office. The champion is busy. He's giving orders. Send a, send a dozen roses to the mayor's wife. I want you to be sure that you've got me scheduled for that, that TV appearance coming up. I want you to be sure you've got this done. And his manager is watching Rocky train on the TV. And he says, champ, this guy's serious. He's training. And the champ says, oh, I'm, I'm serious too. Would you order some more donuts, please? seriousness is shown in action that's what Paul is saying here train, work apply yourself, stick to it, that word train yourself is continual we live in an instant world where we expect godliness now 
That word train is one that speaks about train yourself continually. Develop the habit. You recognize that 40% of our daily behavior is habitual. Things we do without thinking. So we need to grow to the point where practicing the spiritual disciplines of prayer and being in the Word are a natural part of our life, our routine. So that when we miss them, it's not a sense of feeling guilty, but a sense of, you know what, just something's not right in my day. Now, I know that at times, speaking of the disciplines can create a sense of guilt. Or a sense of, man, I'm going to start out by reading a chapter every day. And I'm not going to mess around. I'm going to start reading a chapter in the Bible every day, and I'm going to start in the book of Numbers. Because I'm serious. And what happens after a while is we get weary. I would remind you, first of all, start where you are. And if that means starting small, start small. If you can say, Lord, I'm going to take five minutes. I'm going to get it five minutes earlier. I'm going to get a reading plan. And there are many available, whether it be the Community Bible Reading Journal or online. We can point you to reading plans. And you say, I'm just going to read a paragraph. And then I'm going to spend two minutes in prayer. You might think, well, I don't know what to say when I pray. I would say just talk to the Lord. And you might start by saying this. The Lord knows your heart and saying, Lord, I don't know what to say. So help me. I've come to the point where I recognize one of the basic foundations of prayer is saying those words. Lord, help me. And then stick at it. Dr. William Struthers reflected on how his farm... There is a large marble slab, and in the middle of that, not marble slab, but concrete slab, and in the middle of it is an old-time water pump. You prime the handle. And he said the pump has a bad seal in it so that after you stop pumping, the water still drips for you know, a minute or two before it stops. And he noticed something. That over time, those few drips had created a trough in that concrete two inches deep over time. A little bit, continually, over time, leads to big changes. And I want you to remember when you feel tired, look at verses 9 and 10. When you think of giving up, remind yourself of this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now that's a way of Paul highlighting this. The saying is in verse 10. For to this end, and I think that this is that training ourselves for godliness. We toil and strive. So why do we employ ourselves, toil and strive in the discipline of seeking God? Why? Because our hope is set on the living God. He's alive. Who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He is living and active. Now, a few moments ago I made the point that we need discipline. You recognize that God supplies what we need. One of the fruit parts of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And it's to be near Him. To say, Lord, I need to be near you so that you are in my life. Now, for Christmas, my wife got me a, a present. She got me a new wrist watch. And it's unique because the battery in it operates on light. So it stores up light. Supposedly, you should never have to get a new battery. It stores up light. In fact, the instructions said if you even left it in a cave for six months, it would store up enough light to operate for six months. Now, that's great, but you have to recognize I have a little bit of OCD in me about stuff. So I start to get paranoid. What if I got it and it didn't have much power stored in the battery already? 
So, since Christmas, most every night, I've left this watch laying underneath a lamp. And Jody said, why are you doing that? I'm saying, I'm doing it because I'm paranoid. Because I don't want it to run out of energy because it's not been exposed to the light. You see where I'm going with this illustration? Be near the light. That's what the disciplines are about. Being near the light so that He will supply what we need. And the light will shine. Notice he says this, God is the Savior of all people. Now that's not universalism. Because notice he says next, especially of those who believe. That's a way of saying particularly or to the point, those who have faith. When he says God is the Savior of all people, Paul is emphasizing there's not one way of salvation for Jews and another way for Gentiles. No, there's one way, that's Jesus. There's not one way of salvation for Americans and then another way of salvation for Africans. No, there is one way of salvation and that is Jesus Christ. And it's for those who believe. So we engage in the disciplines. We train ourselves because He is living and He is the Savior. So I ask Him, do you know Him today? Have you taken Him at His word? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved you haven't would you do that today I want to ask you to bow your heads with me if you will I'm going to be down here at the front and if you need to respond in any way today I'll be here to pray with you if you want to come and just kneel at the kneeling benches to pray they are here for that purpose if you'd like to know more about following Christ what I'll do is I'll receive you be glad to then I'll just ask you to have a seat here on the front row and then after the service is done We'll sit down and talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This may be a day where you just need to make a commitment and say, Lord, I want to, I want to get into the Word. You've got to start with one small step. Start where you are. Father, work within our hearts so that we will desire you above all else. Lord, our lives are busy busier than we would like for them to be and Father it's very easy to let the most important things be swept away in what is pressing so Father help us to heed the admonition to train ourselves for godliness starting where we are but committing to be more like Christ for it is in his name we pray Amen